Welcome to Oddly On Air, where we expand teaching and learning perspectives by connecting theory and practice through conversations with expert Westchester University faculty and members of the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation. And now, to our hosts. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Oddly On Air. I'm Jess Drass, the learning technologist in the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation. Um, That's a really long department name to say. That's why we abbreviate it to oddly. To oddly, yeah. Um, and today, I am here with my colleague. Dr. Tom Pantazis, an instructional designer with the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation as well. And uh, for our listeners who don't know, Westchester University is engaged in a moonshot for equity. And I am serving on one of those uh, committees that are doing some of that work. It's the Proactive Advising with Technology Committee. And one of the events uh, this past fall was a mini fair, I guess, uh, that had some different groups from around campus sharing about their their work in this space and the ways that they're supporting Moonshot. And at that fair, I had the opportunity to interact with our guests today, uh, hear a little bit more in depth about what they have been working on. And I had heard from both of them individually about it, kind of in little drips and drabs. Um, but it took about 30 seconds of the conversation at the mini fair before my brain went, they need to be on the podcast. And so here they are. Uh, Jess, you want to do the honors? Introduce him. <laughs> We're here today with Dr. Kimberly Johnson from our nutrition department and Dr. Zainab Baba from our health department. Welcome. Thank nice you. to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for coming. Um, do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, sure. So hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Zainab Baba, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Health. I teach in our undergraduate and graduate program, mainly research methods, a new introduction to epidemiology class, and I also teach some of our electives as well. Hi, my name is Dr. Kimberly Johnson. I'm an associate professor in the nutrition department. I teach classes um, about social theory linked to nutrition. And um, I teach undergraduate and graduate level classes and research on issues related to disparities, which my colleague does as well. And um, I also do research surrounding sustainability, particularly related to fair food systems. And both of us are co-facilitators. They call us directors. We prefer to call ourselves co-facilitators for the diversity inclusion faculty learning community. And that is our topic for today. Uh, so... I would love if y'all could give us a little description of this learning community and what it is and how it functions and tell, tell our audience a little bit about it. How much time do you have? However much <laughs> you want to speak about because we'll edit it down in 25 minutes. <laughs> uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, so our diversity and inclusion faculty learning community, also we call it DIFLIC, um, is an initiative that Kimberly kind of brought me on where we look at inclusive teaching practices within our college. So we're the College of Health Sciences, and so we're training practitioners to go out into the real world to uh, make our population healthy. So part of what we want to make sure that our students are learning in our classrooms is how to be inclusive in their practices. And part of that process is making sure that us as faculty are being inclusive in our teaching. So we are modeling how we would hope our students would 
then interact with the populations that they're looking at. And so what we do is we have six sessions across um, the academic year where we look at all kinds of different areas related to inclusive teaching. And, you know, we have assignments um, and readings for our faculty to do. Um, and then we sit around and talk about it. Yes, and uh, that was a very good description. This is our third year into this. And we've had about 26 faculty involved with this so far. And our, we bring in people from across the campus. So Dr. Tracy Robinson has been in. We bring in wonderful guest lecturers. And we've had very good engagement with those lectures. Another thing I would like to point out about our faculty learning community is we have set it up and we went through a lot of work in the planning of this. It was initially funded by a grant by the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And that grant was to get us to put together basically a syllabus uh, and then lessons with learning objectives. Uh, Our dean, um, Scott Heinrichs, I wanted to make sure that we came out with products and that we had learning objectives. And so we put together very serious lesson plans, but we actually call them session plans because the faculty learning community, we set it up in the tradition of many faculty learning communities and also in the tradition of inclusivity where we look at a transformative learning environment where um, there's bi-directional learning. It's not, we call ourselves co-facilitators. We don't call ourselves the director or the teacher. Um, We call it session plans, not lesson plans. Um, We try to create a lot of um, sessions where there's a a space for discussion, and we typically learn from our faculty as well. And so we spend a lot of time putting together materials um, to increase capacity for faculty to uh, practice inclusive uh, learning, learning environments. And also we very heavily focus on self-reflection and self-awareness of our own assumptions and biases so that when we come into classrooms, we think more about how our interactions, how the way we set up our courses, our course syllabi, the policies we create, whether or not they are leaving people behind and how we might shift those. And every semester, every year, we include more things. So our resource list is growing and growing and growing. And of course, we draw heavily upon the Office of Diversity, Equity, and and Tracy Robinson's, Dr. Tracy Robinson's work uh, to inform what we're doing, and she supports us strongly. That's awesome. No, I thought that was interesting, though, as you were um, talking and explaining things like um, just kind of switching out the language. So instead, rather than a director, you're co-facilitators, rather than lesson plans, they're session plans. Do you find that those simple language changes remove like a barrier kind of make like the base step of making things a little bit more inclusive inclusive i think so (laughs) yeah i think so i think you know part of it is you know we kind of start off like you know from the get-go our first session kimberly and i are like we just know a little bit more about this than you do we're not (laughs) experts you know that's kind of how we go into it and Part of it, too, is that we participate in all of these activities. So it's not like we're saying, oh, go talk about a policy. No, like we are also in there talking about things. And Kimberly and I are very transparent as to our own 
you know, our own experiences going through this process. You know, we share a lot, <laughs> maybe a little bit more than some people would like. Um, but we're very transparent as, you know, I used to think like this. Now I think like this. You know, this is the process I went through in designing this policy for a particular class because of, you know, something a student may have told me um, and things like that. And so I think, you know, setting the stage that way is helpful. Um, I think that the language also is something that, you know, we use in the learning community, but it's also important for faculty to understand that language is important as well. You right. know, how you're approaching things, how you're labeling things, how you, you know, um, describe things as well is really important. So um, having that, I think, is really helpful to kind of set the stage at the beginning. Yeah, and also to um, get people to think about bi-directional piece of it that they can inform it as well. You know, I do think, especially today, uh, when we started this, um, it was the beginning of the pandemic, and we just had another wave of Black Lives Matters. And so our first faculty learning community was heavily focused on concepts of racism. And I think a really important piece here is how we model um, that model our processes of deconstructing our own internalized, implicit, and institutionalized biases. And so that's what Z and I try to do. That's why we tell stories about, oh, this is what happened to me. We tell embarrassing stories about um, how we expressed a bias and then um, shifted because of what we learned. And then we bring in Tracy Robinson to talk to us about difficult conversations. And just recently, she had some really good information about implicit bias and how to deal with if you're in a class and you express as a faculty member a bias. And we all do. We all do. Um, yeah. We are all vulnerable to that. That um, how you should respond to it. And Tracy, Dr. Robinson very simply said, say thank you and use it as a gift and a way to learn. And so we try to bring... Um, the direction um, as a, a circle of learners is what we call it, rather than this top-down, very formalized and scarier process. Because we're already talking about topics that I call it sweating while you teach. They're already difficult topics. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I, th I think it does, though we don't ask people specifically if it does. So now I'm curious, do you have a specific example of an embarrassing story you can share with us? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, well I can talk about my deconstructing stories, and so this one's a little bit less embarrassing, but we were asked to present a, um, well, we applied to present a paper at the a higher education conference with our dean. And I'm in the process of writing my script. I have to write my scripts and prepare everything because I want to be very refined in the way that I speak and um, precise. I think it's important. And, uh, I, you know, I tell this story about how, uh, you know, I was in the dean's office for about three or four semesters before he finally suggested a faculty learning community. The faculty learning community was Scott Heinrich's, Dr. Heinrich's idea. And, I, you know, I was going to use the, this language of, um, oh, I think he just suggested the learning community get this crazy lady out of his office. But then I deconstructed that and I said, oh, wait a minute. First of all, that sort of thinking 
um, it continues to marginalize those of us in the community who have mental health issues. It continues to marginalize myself as a female, as someone who should not be assertive and persistent. And then it also assumes that um, a male like uh, Dr. Heinrichs was... um, sexist in his approach and he was not I, you know it was meant as a joke but when you yeah. use jokes like that and you're not thinking and deconstructing how they could harm other people um it, it's a problem and so that constant deconstructing process probably a longer story than we needed <laughs> <laughs> so i think we touched on this a little bit but um maybe just give us a little summary what was your motivation for building this program sure when i came to westchester university i was assigned a a diversity course nutrition and culture and as i started to dig in and i listened to what i heard students say i realized that i needed to um increase my skill increase my capacity um to create the inclusive environment and to Um, help teach this class. And I have a background. My PhD is in social sciences with a focus on um, nutrition. And I took classes about um, various difficult topics. Yet I still felt like I didn't have everything that I needed. And I thought to myself, well, if this is happening to me, then other faculty who either teach diversity courses or are beginning to be challenged by topics that are more up in front these days, that other faculty must really be challenged. So I talked persistently to Dean Heinrichs about the need to have this uh, some sort of entity where we can increase um, our capacity and develop resources. And while I was doing this, I met um, Dr. Baba at a a new faculty orientation and um, found out that she had experience in um, diversity and inclusion, equity, diversity, inclusion uh, um, groups and in, in teaching. Uh, and so uh, when so, Scott suggested this, I immediately knew that I wanted to partner. It's not something you teach by yourself. It's a big, right. big topic with a lot of weight on it. And I felt the stakes were high and I wanted to really have a good partner. And I found one. Well, so was that your first year? Like, was it your new faculty orientation, or were you at new faculty orientation helping the new faculty? That's the part I'm curious about. Like, no, so I met Kimberly at new faculty orientation. When you were doing, When I was in new faculty. When you were new faculty, yeah, wow. Yeah, okay. and our offices were, like, you know, like, right down the hall from each other. So we saw each other um, often and got to talking. And I was teaching a diversity class as well, um, Health Issues of Women. And so we just kind of got to talking. Um, and in my previous life before Westchester, um, I was working with state government. And part of what I was doing is I was part of a task force where we were looking at training frontline staff who were interacting with the public. And so that's where my expertise kind of came in because I had a lot of that information. You know, how do you train people to be more inclusive, more culturally aware and things like that? And I was working at Department of Health, so, you know, health-related. That's interesting. I was going to say, it was fascinating, those connections. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure with that experience, like back when you're working with the Department of Health, do you have experience training people who were more resistive to the whole diversity inclusion topic i mean yes you always get people who are resistant (laughs) to it especially people who have been doing it for a while they're kind of like you know i've been doing this for a while it's been great why are you coming to you know bother me with all of this but you know if we think about our society we live in a global society we have people who are coming from all kinds of backgrounds and especially when we think about health and health disparities one of the barriers to people getting 
healthcare is they don't feel comfortable with their provider. And so if you're, you know, kind of like an admin sitting at the front desk of a doctor's office and somebody doesn't feel comfortable, they're not going to come back, you know. So that was, um, you know, what I was involved in. And that really comes up as a topic that we talk about, the difficult conversations piece. What do you do um, related to people who are not interested in this, students that may not be as interested in um, understanding some of this when you're talking more deliberately about diversity and inclusion. And I just want to remark that we, um, uh, we help people who are teaching specifically about diversity and inclusion and equity, but everyone, all classes, all faculty need to have good skills in inclus- inclusion and learning divide. Uh, in learning environments. We all need to know how to practice that. And it's not just faculty. As a society in general, we all need to practice this. We inherited many institutionalized biases. We all practice implicit bias. And we all need to become more aware of this so that we succeed as a multicultural society and we celebrate our diversity. Absolutely, Uh, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned before you have a syllabus that you've prepared for this course does that kind of lay out topical focus across each of the six sessions or do you do something different to kind of lay out what you're going to cover over your time together as a learning community so it's you know general syllabus like you would have for a regular classroom it has information for all the six sessions with that caveat of you know tentative for changes (laughs) (laughs) um but no it's, it's a regular syllabus we have you know, we have an attendance policy. We have a, you know, um, policy about, you know, Zoom and, you know, caregiving and all that stuff. So it looks like a regular syllabus, um, but it does have all the information for all the sessions that we're going to be covering, the readings. Um, we have an extensive bibliography, also resources. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, so. I do want to say that the policies, we have this set of policies, which are policies that link to inclusion exclusion, and we actually have the group develop it together. Mm-hmm. And every semester we get something new. Like this year, there was a new one on caregiver. And boy, that hit home for me uh, as somebody who had been a caregiver for a parent for a couple of years who struggled with my work schedule and trying to do everything that I needed to and all my obligations. Yeah. And so, you know, it made me realize uh, you know, all of the other caregivers out there. And so I actually mention it in my classes now. Then we sometimes run over on topics we're passionate about and we get a new topic in and, and you know, uh, that sort of thing happens. So what are the six for this semester? What are your six, like, focal areas, if that's if you have those six sessions? I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. <laughs> so our syllabus is broken down into a preparation piece and then an implementation piece. So the first three sessions are preparation. The second three are implementation. Okay. So we go over the syllabus policies. We go over um, kind of like definitions, what's cultural competency. Um, You know, we go over like equality versus equity versus, you know, justice and things like that. Um, We do like um, implicit bias and things like that. So Dr. Robinson came and did that for us. Um, But then we kind of move on to the implementation part. So how do you actually... um, practically do some of these things. So we talk about, you know, bringing different voices into your, you know, the readings that you're assigning to students. Um, And then we have, um, that's also where we have like our big guest speaker come and do a workshop 
with um, our faculty um, where they can also ask questions about what's going on as well. Did I miss any? No, but I'll add a few oh, things. Yeah. <laughs> so the implicit bias piece is, is really important. We spend a lot of time having faculty reflect, and they actually, we, we give them journal prompts related to the readings that we did and ask them to re- reflect on their own um, assumptions and biases and how it might impact. Um, and a really important piece is um, considering a theoretical anchor for it. So this is what cultural competence does for us cultural competence we bring in cultural humility and you don't have to be teaching a diversity course to have a cultural to have an anchor a theoretical anchor it helps you think through well what is the process of how i can go about creating a more inclusive environment myself how can i pass that on to my students so that's for everybody that's not just someone teaching a diversity class do you have any good stories or anecdotes from your experience facilitating this program? I think for me, one of the greatest parts of our learning community um, is that we have graduate students come and talk to us about the experiences that they've had. So these are graduate students who work with the athletic mentoring program um, through Dr. Tammy James. And They work with students of color um, to help them, you know, just be a mentor to them. Um, And she has this fabulous program set up. And so we have her graduate mentors come and talk to us um, to give us some insight about how students of color feel in the classroom. What are the barriers that they have? How can we help them? And it has been really, for me, one of the most impactful um, things that we've done because if we didn't have that feedback, we wouldn't know what to do. Right. You know, we're faculty, yeah. you know, we stand up and we, you know, say our, you know, piece and then, you know, but they give us insight that we otherwise wouldn't have. Even if we talk to these students, especially students who are struggling, um, they may not be able to tell us what's going on. But these mentors have a relationship with these students. Um, and so it's been really eye-opening for us. Um I think the the student mentors, they come and, you know, they talk. Um, because they're not talking about themselves, they're talking about these other students. Um, it makes it, you know, kind of less of a barrier for them to actually share these stories with us. Um, but we've had these grad students tell us about their own experiences as well. Um, but, I you know, I think, like, for me, that's one of the things that, you know, I take away every single time. It's my favorite part um, of our learning community. I, I think that's true for most of the faculty. We hear that, and I know it's it's for me, too, um, just listening to the stories from students who are in our classes and understanding that this is not some abstracted thing in some research study. This is real happening around us, and um, it really gives you pause when you think about anything from attendance policies to, you know, late late submission policies to understanding access to resources really important do you feel like your program has been successful yeah well yeah i mean um when i first talked to dr heinrichs dean heinrichs about this topic one of the things i cared about was to create infrastructure to train people over and over again on a topic that is really one of the most difficult topics to teach Mm-hmm. Um, right. And the difficult topics to incorporate, 
Uh, and to have that as a permanent piece, of course, you know, we have our Office of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and, and they're responsible for a lot of that. But I wanted to make sure that whatever we set up, I had hoped that it would be, that it would repeat itself. And one of the mar- remarks we had just recently from um, Dean Heinrich, Heinrichs was that we've been very successful because it wasn't just a one-off, that we actually were able to do it um, yeah. multiple semesters in a row. Yeah, no, I agree. I I measure success by, you know, faculty coming and saying, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And part of it, too, is, you know, whatever little the faculty get out of it, we are hoping that they're implementing it, which I feel that they are. One of the products that we have for our learning community is that the faculty have to bring a syllabus that they want to work with. And, you know, kind of look at it, examine it, um, and see whether, you know, there's anything in there that can be changed. And um, I talked to one of um, the members of our cohort, from our first cohort. She's still looking at her syllabi to try and figure out if there's something in there that, you know, she could change and be more inclusive about. And, you know, because we're in the College of Health Sciences, you know, people kind of know each other and things like that. Um, You'll see people in the hallway and they'll say, hey, I did this in my class and it really worked. Or, you know, I want to try this. You know, what kind of suggestions do you have for me to, you know, implement this and, you know, things like that. And so I think that it's, it's on the people's minds who actually went through our learning community. And, you know, I think, you know, in that way, I think it's been successful. So the last formal question we have before we get to the fun ones, uh, is around that idea. What advice would you give to others who might want to create or start a, a program similar to this and in perhaps their college or another institution? I know for me, it's to find allies. I think that's a really critical piece. Um, it will help you move things forward, find people who are interested. You know, there's lots of people who um, will say, okay, but won't necessarily jump in. Um, finding an ally, which I did in uh, Dr. Baba and Dr. Heinrich, that, that's, for me, critical. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, finding allies. I think it's really important to have support from many different areas. Um, this is definitely not something, this is not a one-person job. Um, you know, I know that we work together, but there's a whole host of other people who lend us their support, whether it's, you know, our own faculty within our departments or leadership. Um, I think having a lot of patience as well, because a lot of this stuff is hard. This mm-hmm. is not easy stuff to digest. Um, even the readings that we have sometimes is like, um, I told Kimberly, I was like, we're reading a book for the, you know, the third time we're doing this. And I'm like, I'm just now getting some of that information and understanding what they're <laughs> saying. Yeah. Um, so having that patience and one of the keys to really having this learning community, having it being successful is being able to self-reflect. You know, that's one of the things, you know, you have to be nice and comfortable with yourself to really understand what's going on because these are not easy topics. And understanding that this is not easy for other people as well Mm -hmm. um, is something that, you know, you kind of have to come to terms with. 
Okay, so let's see if we can summarize some key points from our discussion with Kim and Z. Um, so first off, they were motivated to build this faculty learning community as a transformative learning environment with bi-directional learning. And the purpose was to support faculty members in their practice of inclusive and equity-minded instruction. This program is extremely relevant for faculty in the College of Health Sciences as issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion can be a barrier for patients seeking care from their health provider. However, all faculty can and should incorporate inclusive and equity-minded practices in their instruction. And some topics that get discussed in this learning community include implicit bias, equity versus equality, cultural competence, syllabus policies, and strategies for inclusive and equity-minded instruction. Learning how to deconstruct implicit biases and self-reflecting on your own biases is an uncomfortable yet crucial part of this work. We're all human and are bound to make mistakes, but if we're willing to learn and grow from them, then we can succeed as a multicultural society. We have a couple fun questions that we like to close on. Um, So the first one is, what is bringing you joy these days? I think one of the things right now that brings me joy is practicing appreciation um, and thinking about friends and family and all of the animals and creatures in the world and nature that bring me joy and appreciating that more, actually thinking about an appreciation, that spirit of appreciation um, is a a force of joy for me, is a a form of joy for me. so that's that's one of the things that I do. So I like to walk in nature and um, embrace all of the creatures around and then think about how this was a really wonderful space for a, a, a friendship, a wonderful friendship that I developed with Dr. Baba and the, our, my dean and the, my associate dean, Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl Gunter, and others of the faculty that we had. And we actually encourage this in the faculty learning community is to find a partner um, to share things with. I think that's one of the best answers we've ever ever had. had um what brings me joy probably that the super bowl is this weekend yes. Yes. except this episode comes out like a month later that's okay yeah. at the time of recording at the yes. time of recording the super bowl you, is this weekend are you an eagles fan so i went to school in kansas so you're a chiefs fan so i've been a chiefs fan for a very long time but now i live here Oh snap! Um, and my boys are huge Eagles fans. Okay, good. You raised your boys the right way. <laughs> so I was I was warned that nobody's going to cheer for the Chiefs in our house. In house. <laughs> but yes, I'm happy though because at least I'm not stressed out about who's going to win. So the other question we ask is, what's one resource or teaching tip that you want to share with everybody? And it does not have to relate to our topic if you don't want it to. Listen and trust your students. Um, I think that that's a really big thing for me, um, and especially that came out of the pandemic when you heard so many people struggling with so much. Um, that's that's an important piece for me. Yeah, I think, you know, related to that, um, there's this book called The Privileged Poor by Anthony Jack, um, who is a professor at Harvard, and he writes about um, the experiences of students who are basically from low-income neighborhoods who get scholarships to go to, you know, really prestigious schools and kind of like the idea that just because somebody from a low-income neighborhood made it to like a Harvard or Yale, 
doesn't mean that they're going to be able to navigate the systems that are in there. You know, right. we think yeah. once somebody gets to college, then boom, done, you know. But um, he tells it in this way that is really accessible. It's really thought-provoking as well. And I think should be a must-read for people in higher education just to understand, you know, our students and where they come from. Well, that is all we have today. Um, thank you, Dr. Baba and Dr. Johnson, for joining us. Um, thank you, all of our listeners, for listening today. If you have any interest in being a future guest or if you have any suggestions for a future topic, please email us at distanced at wcupa.edu. <laughs> Stay odd. <laughs>